0: Welcome to the Shades of Hope podcast. This is a frank conversation between two friends who care deeply about the case for racial justice as it's presented in the gospel. In this podcast, we'll cover where racial justice shows up in the Bible, why it's important for pastors to be in conversation, God's urgency for this work, and how the church can start conversations for the work of racial justice. Welcome everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Shades of Hope. My name is Jeff Krayeski. I'm here with my friend, Pastor Moore, and we are so excited that you are choosing to listen in, spend a little bit of time considering some conversations that for us are very important, which is racial justice in the church and how the gospel of Jesus leads us into this space as ambassadors of reconciliation. Pastor Moore, how are you today?
1: I am doing wonderful. It has been a great, great day. And I'm so excited about our conversations. You know, I'm hearing from constituents all over the country who are so appreciative, Pastor Jeff, of our very frank and transparent conversation. And so, hey, I'm looking forward to another opportunity to talk with you again today.
0: So, Pastor, you know, there's a lot of nuances to this conversation that we've had over the years. And one of the places where I think white Christians get stuck in their pursuit of becoming more aware of the racialized world that they live in is not knowing how to educate themselves. And oftentimes we look to people of color to help us help ourselves, thinking that, and I think it's, you know, there's probably some goodness in there in our desire to be like, well, just tell us what to do. How can we help? How do we fix it? But when you hear white Christians particularly approach you in that way, how does that sort of land with you as a person of color in this conversation?
1: Wow, well, that's a great question. I would like to do something here, though. This is a teach of a moment for our listeners. And that is you use some phraseology that I want to push back on. And that is that people of color, designate. I wonder if that people of color terminology feeds into the larger narrative of us and them. Hmm. And I hope that we can find a way, and I'm just as guilty of it as anyone, because we have, you know, we're trying to all navigate this racialized society. But this terminology, people color, to me, tends to have a negative connotation. Mm -hmm. And so what I want to challenge you and myself and our listeners today is how can we begin to really, because, you know, you think about race, would an African consider themselves a Person of color? Mm. What about someone from India? Mm -hmm. This construct I want us to talk about because I think that this speaks to why you and I are doing this Shades of Hope podcast is that we're stuck in a system that perpetuates this whole thing of us and them or better than you or less than. And so I wonder if we can find some more terminology, Pastor Jeff, than people of color. I consider myself of African descent. Mm -hmm. So do you consider yourself, do you have a color?
0: Yeah. So this is a remarkable way of thinking about this because yeah, I have European, my ancestors are from Poland, you know, so wow. Uh I'm not white. I'm not white neither by ethnic or when you put white next to my skin, it, it doesn't match. So, yeah, that's such an interesting way of thinking about it. And, you know, I think as the conversation continues, the nuances of language continue to develop as well. And so what may have been a helpful designation, yeah, um, you know, 5, 10, 20 years ago, now, as we continue to do this kind of work, have these kinds of conversations, you realize that even the iterations where you're trying to make it more inclusive still includes exclusivity.
1: Yeah, excellent point. And I hear from my white brothers a lot of times is they say, before I can have this conversation with you, Clarence, can we define terms? Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know what all these terms mean. And I think that's a great question. And that is something that we'll be in search of as we continue our conversations. But I just wanted to just take a moment and ask our listeners to think about the terminology people of color. So who is not of color? and how did that fall into the construct of as we are trying, as you say, get the work done around racial justice? How do we begin to define terms and making sure we understand the derivative and the genesis of these terms? And how do we begin to maybe reframe some of our thinking? Again, I don't think my African brothers and sisters in our country would say that they are black. They would just say I'm African. Mm -hmm. I think Japanese would say I'm Japanese. But somewhere in America, over 400 years ago, we constructed this racialization
0: of the human race with this thing of color. It's such a great point. I was just thinking about this is the age old and even rooted in the New Testament is the Jewish superiority. Mm. There were Jews and Gentiles. Well, Gentiles comprised so much more. They were everyone else. But from the Jewish perspective, you were either Jewish or you were not. (laughs) Right. And so there was no nuance in that. And that's where I think the beauty of Jesus coming and breaking down those dividing walls that would separate people and really actually having to help The Jewish community acknowledged that God doesn't show favorites to anyone. They had constructed a system whereby they saw themselves as superior, and therefore they could categorize everyone that wasn't Jewish as Gentile.
1: Wow, that is so true. And then Paul comes along and reiterates Jesus' teachings and says there's neither Jew nor Greek. And so, Pastor Jeff, I brought that up, this whole phraseology of people of color. I just want us to think about it. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm not saying that I won't use that terminology in the future. What I'm trying to do is sensitize us to some of the language we are accustomed to using that sometimes perpetuates the disunity that continues to feed the narrative of people that may be less than. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying we shouldn't use that terminology. I'm saying that when we say what we say, I'm hoping. When you talk about getting the work done, that as we are learning, as we go along in this conversation, that part of getting the work done is getting understanding of terms, trying to understand so that we can be better stewards of the calling God has on our lives. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, words do have meaning and they do come from certain contexts that we all just need to be asking ourselves the, that question. So, but can you repeat that? I got off on this tangent. <laughs> what, what's, the, what's the meat of your question? Because I want to answer the foundation of your question.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the things that we're trying to do through this podcast is create an appetite to want to discover more about where racism is infecting the church. And so as people start to understand that this is actually a bigger problem than just whether or not I do racist things, what we realize is that takes us into a bigger conversation that has larger implications and requires a lot more intentionality from the learner to acquire the information. Sometimes I've heard white people just say things like, well, if somebody would just tell me what to do, I would do it. Or how can I fix the problem? Or why don't you, you know, I'm so sorry. How can I, how can I help? That tends to then take the onus off of the asker, uh, you know, the person who's doing the work, the white Christian, and it puts it back onto the responsibility of the African-American person that they may be in conversation or relationship with. How does that feel when it comes from us to you in that way? What's the impact?
1: Yeah. So I think that I don't want that weight of trying to fix this. I have enough weight of trying to navigate the system that I and the people I pastor in the African-American context. And so I'm not sure that we as African-Americans totally understand the systematic and structural context in which we are trying to navigate. And so I would say You know, when I became a husband, I had to do my research as to how to become a better husband. You know, I had to read some books in order to improve my ability to get along with my wife. I couldn't put that burden on her to teach me how to be a good husband. Mm. I needed her input. I needed her thoughts. But I had to literally spend time reading materials talking to other men about how I could be a better husband. And I think to my white brothers and sisters, when it comes to understanding how they can better navigate what I think is kingdom work. I think the work of trying to improve the relationships between God's children is kingdom activity. It's just as important, in my opinion, As sending missionaries over into Indonesia or some aspects or parts of Africa. And so we need to have the mindset, if I'm going to be a better pastor, if I'm going to grow as a believer, I want to learn how I can better be a part of a system that treats everybody the same. And so don't put that burden on your Black friend. Take it upon yourself. You know, we talked about awareness. We talked about the next step of action. Become aware and dig deep down yourself and then have those brothers and sisters of African descent around you that could help answer some of those questions, but don't put the total burden on them. And that's what I love about our relationship is you didn't put all that burden on me. What you did was you asked me a lot of questions, but you'd already made up in your mind that you wanted to do the work. You'd already start listening, started reading. And I think that's what every believer should do when it comes to creating what Dr. King called this beloved community Mm -hmm. where all people are treated equally. Do the work, brother.
0: You do the work. Well, I just think as we step into this, the one thing that I've found that's been very hard for me in the journey is not wanting to do anything wrong. So it's not just that I want to do the right thing. I don't also want to do the wrong thing, which sometimes prevents me from doing anything. Good point. So there's a lot of times where I'll have questions that I won't ask. There's times that I will have comments that I won't make. But I think that the reality is that this is a messy thing. We're undoing messy things and it's not going to be easy and it's going to take time and grace. And we are going to naturally fall on our face at times. I think the key, and this is where the church, I'm so passionate about the church being the leaders in this. We have ways to help people as they make mistakes in the process right absolutely we have confession of sin i'm so sorry i said we did this on one of our conversations at the beginning of the podcast i made some comment kind of off the cuff and you just slowed down and you said whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. just one second did you mean what you said when you said and it was like right then this light bulb came on and i was like oh my goodness." <laughs> Thinking that I have the right filter, I'm still learning what the right filter looks like.
1: Absolutely.
0: But there's this humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance that the Spirit gives us as we step into these things. And so I would just say my experience has been when we step out into that unknown space, there's danger there, but there's also great, great joy and opportunity for redemption if we're willing to move into that space that's uncomfortable. The scriptures tell us that pure gold is refined by fire, that we don't become more human, more the way that God created us to be without the relational discontinuity that has to be overcome that was the story of the entire early church right it was all of these different people coming together and trying to figure out how to love each other from so many different backgrounds and they could do that because of Jesus and so the church should be leading this charge we should be the ones that are willing to take the risk because we know that ultimately we have the relational equipping to be able to offer forgiveness and seek forgiveness and repent and restore yeah,
1: yeah, it really is to to my white brothers and sisters. And I mean that with all endearment, my white brothers and sisters. What I look at is where is that person's heart? Where is their heart? And yeah, we're gonna make some mistakes. We're gonna say some things. You know, we talked earlier about this whole terminology of people of color. There are gonna be some other statements that we're gonna make that maybe not knowingly could offend somebody or could push somebody in the area that we didn't really push them in. But I tell you, at the end of the day, what we look to is that person's heart. And you hit the humility, forbearance. And so what I have to be careful of is anger. Mm. I have to be careful of anger and arrogance from my perspective because I have to give my friend Jeff room to be who he is. And as you have to give me that space, And then we can put our coffee cup down and say, hey man, that what you just said, we need to talk about a little bit. And vice versa. But I think it boils down to, like you said earlier, relationship and then somebody's heart. Is that brother really wanting to do the work? You know, and I think that, you know, children read people very well. They know who really cares for them and who loves them. And I think to some extent, most African American people can read those folk that really are trying to do the right thing as it relates to creating a harmonious and loving environment for all people.
0: And I would just encourage my white brothers and sisters to be okay with not always getting it right. Yeah. If we could just sit and being okay with that, like we've always been discipled to be correct, be right, you know, and that's not helpful in this journey.
1: This construct, you've been socialized too. And this socialization, you'd be surprised the number of times that I feel like someone is talking down to me. And they don't know they are. It's just part of their construct. It's part of their socialization. And so I remember being with one of my white brothers and we went to do a radio show. And he was trying to fit in to the environment. They wanted to know more about how we were building bridges toward each other in the arena of race. And he walked into a room of a black commentator and black cameraman, And, and he said, y'all, I want y'all to know that this is my boy. And the room got quiet. He didn't mean any harm by that. He didn't realize using the terminology with a black man in front of black people and as a white man calling him my boy. Honestly, his heart was in the right place. And I had to spend the next three minutes convincing the room that, no, I'm not his boy. He's my boy. And that's what broke the ice. And later on, he says, did I do stuff? I says, well, you can't use that terminology in front of, not as a white man, when you're characterizing, you know, your relationship with an African-American. But, you know, we've laughed about it because I knew his heart. And I had to explain to the others in the room where his heart was.
0: That's a really interesting sub point in this conversation that I notice occasionally when people who are white are trying to move into these areas, particularly with people when they're relating with African-Americans, is that they feel like they have to somehow appropriate cultural stereotypes, you know, the way that we think all black people talk. (laughs) And so that we feel like in order to bridge the relational gap, we've got to try to somehow show our cultural awareness rather than just being ourselves right
1: absolutely
0: and a good for instance for me is when we have an african-american woman on our staff and regularly people will bring music worship music to her and assume that she knows the artist in the song because the artist is black <laughs> as though yeah as though, of course she knows every black artist and therefore Loves the music and, but there's not that sense of like, I don't know every white artist or like all of their music, but we don't necessarily relate across that color line. Right, right. We relate awkwardly. We don't really think through a lot of times how this is going to land. I do it all the time.
1: Yeah, that's a great
0: point. And it's just,
1: again, it's doing the work means you're going to make some mistakes. But when your heart is in the right place, God honors that. And hopefully those that you are in relationship with will give you some grace in that space. I say some silly things sometimes to to my wife, and I can get away with it if I have some grace in the bank. But if our relationship is in the negative, things continue to spiral down. But if I have a little bit of grace in the back, I can take a withdrawal and say, hey, I, I didn't mean it like that, you know. And that's the way it is with relationships among different peoples, is how we love one another and genuinely. Because, again, doing the work, white brothers and sisters need to do the homework of understanding the construct and the historicity of the journey of people in America. Oh, man. I just read a quote that human beings are 99.8% the same. Look at that. Mm -hmm. 99.8% the same. That means that there is literally no difference between you and me from a physiological, we are basically the same person. It just so happened that the good Lord left me in the oven a little longer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh. That he, he, he may have you. But see, I just said something that could have offended you. See, that's just how we we talk. So, But basically, we are the same, my brother. Mm-hmm. Man, and we got wars and fighting and All kinds of constructs based on pigmentation. And what I want to get the work done, let's really let's do the homework, let's read, and let's have some really frank conversations. And I'm so glad that you and I are spending time in the Shades of Hope Mm. podcast together. Let me ask you a quick question as we close. What continues to inspire you to get this work done?
0: That's a great question because sometimes it's not always inspiring. Sometimes it's just really hard and painful. And I think the, the more you're aware of how the world is set up in such a disproportionate way, and the more you're willing to try to feel the pain of those who suffer under the disproportionality, I mean, that just is, it's weighty. And I think there is these moments where I'm like, can this thing ever get fixed? Is it even possible, right?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: It's so pervasive. Yeah. It's so far reaching. Even somebody like myself who feels some level of awareness of what's going on. And then just you keep peeling back the layers. And I'm like, how is there ever going to be any resolution to this? But then you have these moments. I was in one of these moments the other day around a table where there were some people who were there not to do the work but through conversation because of the racial makeup of the conversation we got there and there were tears and there was repentance wow and there was forgiveness and there was encouragement offered in that relational space and it was hard you know it's, it didn't start with roses i mean it started with kind of a edge of offense yeah and yet the spirit of god did something in that space that All of a sudden, there was this little green shoot that popped up. And I thought, huh, there's a little spark of something. And I think what gives me hope is those little moments over a long period of time coming together to offer maybe new ways of thinking about human relationships. And so, yeah, it's those little, small little sparks where people who are willing to press in and experience some of that difficulty and um, risk. I mean, honestly, take some risks and offer forgiveness. When I see that happen, I'm like, okay, I believe it. It can happen. That's
1: awesome. Thank you for that.
0: That, And you. I mean, and you. At the end of the day, I'm hopeful because you're hopeful.
1: Yeah, I am hopeful. And I say this and not excusing my brothers and sisters, whether white or black, from doing the work on earth. But we do know that in the end, there would be men and women from all tribes, all nations, all here, and that crowd of witnesses standing before the Lord on that great day. So when we all get to heaven, mm-hmm. all of this will be over. And the only qualification would be whether or not we live Christ-like lives and loved our brother. But in the meantime, we got to do the work so that when we close our eyes, we've helped somebody along the way. That's why I love having these hopeful conversations with you in the midst of all of this, like you said, this difficult season that we're in. People like you give me hope. People like those young white children and young people that were in the streets doing protests give me hope that better days are ahead. As America Browns, I just know that the church can make a difference we are the hope of the world so as we say right we want to make sure we're on common ground the name of your church mm-hmm. in this new era the name of the church i've passed pastor
0: thank you i appreciate it
1: thank you my friend look forward to our next time together
0: Thank you for listening to the Shades of Hope podcast, part of the Center for Congregations podcast network. If you like this episode and think it would be helpful for others, please take a moment to rate and review it on iTunes.